0: Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Suffices to say that I love the story of Angie Mosher. She is a decorated, celebrated, and beloved food photographer who happens to be a Georgia and Atlanta native. And her work can be seen alongside names like John T. Edge, Eric Repair, and Kevin Gillespie. And her work is absolutely stunning. But the one thing that I really enjoyed the most about her story is that she spent much of her career working as a caterer and a pastry chef slash cake decorator, if she's really done it all. And we caught up at her studio in College Park for a conversation. So here she is, famed food photographer, Angie Mosier. Uh, yeah, there's there's uh it's very rare that I'm that I'm sitting in like a quiet setting and Is it Uh, making you nervous? It's not making me nervous. No, it's (laughs) just, uh, you know, I I think being in people's business or people like in their place of business is really ideally where I like to be. Um, It's just, you know, I'm 30 steps from the kitchen where you can hear like the prep cooks yelling at each other and there's like music playing in the background. Someone drops a sheet pan, Someone kicks open the swinging door. Something like that. So, um, but this is this is great. We're actually at your studio yes. in College Park, yeah. and I had no problems finding it. I actually circled back around, okay. so I tried to make it look really sly as I passed by you, and you're yeah. like, "He has no idea where he's going." <laughs> but, um, but Angie Mosier, welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Thank you, Ben. How are you? I'm doing great. And I I always ask this: Am I pronouncing your last name properly? You are good. See, I I know how to do things. Yeah, I know how to read words and work with vowels where they work correct <laughs> um but it's such a pleasure to, to have you on the show I've um like many people have seen so much of your work I mean across uh a lot of different formats and especially cookbooks um but obviously editorial and um and I love that you're an Atlanta native and you're just a hop skip and a jump from us over in Grant Park yes. but um but there's there's a lot that I want to talk to you about your career, you know, as a food photographer and I mean also telling the the human side of things like it's not just through food but also the person really behind this and the mind behind it. Um, so we're gonna get into your 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 work. but before that i'm gonna I'm gonna grill you with a lot of the same fun questions that everybody gets on the show. So tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she?
1: Okay. um well, mostly my mother cooked. she, wasn't completely a stay-at-home mom, but she, and she did work, but she had her normal repertoire, very pedestrian kind of uh, meals, but, but good meals, you know, things like chili mac and meatloaf and spaghetti and stuff like that. So it wasn't, we do have a uh, sort of a country background. My whole family's from East Tennessee and my grandmother, her mother also cooked for me quite a bit. So, um, she was influenced by her as well so we had every summer we always had a garden and farm you know like lovely farm vegetables my grandparents always had a garden still in tennessee and we visit them very often so i think that is the fondest memory that i have of family members cooking um but so yeah my mom and my grandmother primarily
0: and you 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 kind of unlocked the holy grail for me of chili mac <laughs> i grew up eating chili mac as well i grew up in florida so not east tennessee but um if you've never had really well it depends on what kind of chili is well. It can't I mean it works, but if you grew up eating like a really bean heavy chili, but then just over spaghetti noodles, like that's it's pretty badass. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah.
1: It was just easy for her, you know. Right. Open yeah. a couple of cans, yeah. boil some pasta.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It was especially if it's coming out of a can. Like yeah. yeah, you're not gonna be able to forget those memories. Right. So um and you already said East Tennessee, but what part of East so,
1: Tennessee? So um my I- Parents are from the foothills of the Smokies. My mom and dad met in a little town called Maryville, Tennessee, which is right outside of Knoxville. It's on gotcha. Knoxville has almost blended into Maryville now.
0: Yeah. How many people did you have to scoff at who mispronounced Maryville growing up?
1: Everyone says Maryville. Exactly. And I have a friend who lives there now who still refused. She moved there from somewhere else and she refuses to call it Maryville.
0: Yeah. I know. I, uh, you know, growing up in Florida, a lot of people say, uh, yeah, it's really close to Kissimmee. It's like, it's actually pronounced Kissimmee, but you're an outsider and no one likes you. So it's hard. It's (laughs) always hard. Yeah. I had the same thing in Virginia as well. It's really hard to, to pronounce all that. But, um, but I, I know a little bit about your life before photography. So talk to me a little bit about, um, working. So I know a lot about you working in pastry. Um, but tell me about your life, like kind of leading up to, your professional career.
1: Okay, so I started my culinary career as a cake baker mostly and a cake decorator. Um, And that was literally to try to figure out a way to get out of the boring office job that I had. I went to Georgia State and studied journalism actually and worked on the radio station there. And um, just didn't really understand how to get a job in that once I was done with school. So. I ended up work I worked the whole time I went to Georgia State at a big accounting firm in a skyscraper downtown and ended up staying there after college and stayed there for longer than I intended to and but a hobby of mine had always been baking cakes and decorating cakes. My mom was an amateur cake decorator and always made sure that we had beautiful and fun birthday cakes. And um, so she had all the equipment and let me play with that stuff when I was a kid. And so I started making cakes for friends and then I ended up making my own wedding cake, thinking I can do this. And so I started a a business baking cakes two years before I ever quit my full-time job. So it was basically I was working full-time and then baking wedding cakes on the weekends and then I finally was able to quit my job because I started getting more clients, better customers that and I started getting better at it so I could charge more money. And then I did that for about 10 years. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's a quite the level of ambition, making your own wedding
1: cake. Yeah, it was pretty silly to do that, actually. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> cake turned out fine. It was just, I mean, it's already kind of stressful getting married, but yeah. Or putting on a wedding.
0: Yeah, exactly. But
1: it was now it's a fun story.
0: Yeah. No, that, that is a really, really cool story. Uh, that, that's like the, um, it's like the DIYers like dream of like, you can make your own cake. And everyone's like, I think you're a little insane for saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I can't believe I did all that. Yeah. Really.
0: So, so you're working as a cake decorator and where, where did you pick up a camera in, in this whole process? Like, did you grow up doing photography?
1: Well, we always had a, a camera in our family. My parents are not great photographers (laughs) but they, they always had a like a 35 millimeter camera so my brother and I were always allowed to use the camera and then we always had Polaroids which I still love Polaroids um so I just grew up we always had snapshots my mom still likes to print out her even her iPhone photos so I think there was an appreciation for photographs and photo albums and so you know working in camera wasn't that foreign to me but then um really skipping ahead um I always had my own personal camera and then when I was studying journalism at Georgia State I really didn't focus on photography but had to do a little bit of it if you were working on a story for school then you know you just needed to shoot your own photos so I had a camera in college and then when I got into food I had to take pictures of my own cakes. They were always terrible. It would be funny to look at them right now, (laughs) my photos are terrible. But but then, in between cake decorating and photography, I became a food stylist, because after doing weddings for so long, um, that, I just came to a point in my career where I had to figure out, I'm either gonna have to expand and hire a bunch of people, or I just need to change what I'm doing altogether. A lot of my cakes started getting photographed for books and magazines. And I loved that process and I got to be around photographers and they kind of taught me how to look through the camera at food and how it's different than just, you know, it's very different to take pictures of food. So um, I, I didn't even know there was something called a food stylist, but I ended up getting a job that somebody wanted or needed a stylist who knew how to do cake decorating and none of the food stylists in town at that time felt comfortable with the frosting techniques. And so they said, you need to find somebody who can make cakes. And so the producer called me, and I got done with that job, and I said, I don't know what a food stylist is, but I'm going to find out, and I'm going to become one. And so I did.
0: Wow. And was this in all in Atlanta?
1: Uh, all in Atlanta, yeah. Wow. I've never lived anywhere other than Atlanta. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so I became a food stylist. I did take a class in San Francisco from a really good food stylist just because it was really hard to find someone here who – would let you assist them at the time. There was probably only two or three people that did it full time. And so I thought I need to learn how to do this and, and found someone that's a long time ago. That's been over 20 years ago. So, um, but being around photographers made me want to start shooting for myself, not in the same way because I was much more being drawn back to storytelling and wanted to photograph things that mattered to me, and I was just doing it for myself, but then a couple of people said, someone told me you might have a photo of X, Y, or Z. Do you have something like that? And then I became more and more interested in, in pursuing photography full time. So now I still do work as a food stylist sometimes and sometimes a prop stylist, but I primarily work as a photographer now.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's cool that you, you got your start like decorating cakes and then food styling and what better way to be working in tandem with a photographer than you're the ones with your hands on the food and I mean that that process of how you make something look camera ready is so different than what people think.
1: <laughs> it is, and it's funny because up until really everyone had a f- iPhone camera. Um, not that many, or people started blogging. Not that many people even knew what a food stylist was, and so I mean not to discredit the people who are taking beautiful photos with their phones for their blogs, but. If they really understood what went into a commercial food styling job, it is completely different than just seeing some a pretty picture on your on Instagram. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, and I mean, part of it is fun, and part of it's real torture.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to you know, to think about the way that you you keep a keep a dish, or you keep something alive for the camera um is very different than like okay it's coming out of the kitchen and it just came off the pass and your server's bringing it to you it needs to be hot or it needs to be you know it only has like certain you know half life of what it's supposed to look like before you dig your spoon into it but the way that you keep something going for the camera um not not always after a photo shoot is everything like does everybody want to eat it
1: no especially (laughs) on more ad work, right. Ad style food photography. No, you probably don't want to eat any of that stuff. It's got pins in it and Mm -hmm. weird stuff brushed on it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say the way that you make things look like it's been roasted. Like you don't want to know how that was done. (laughs) You don't want to always know how it was done, but, um, but you've, you've spent, um, quite a bit of, quite a bit of time as a photographer working with a lot of really well-known people and chefs. And I mean, in a lot of different publications, Um, you know, and let's spend some time there. So you, you've done some cookbook work. I mean, cookbooks that I have in my home. So, I mean, um, you know, Eric Repair being one of them, Kevin Gillespie, you know, chef here in Atlanta. And then the one that I was the most interested in because I thought it was a really interesting book was John T. Edge. Oh yeah. So you, you've worked with some really amazing, and that's only a handful, Mm -hmm. but you know, just talk to me about like, you know, some of the people that you've, you've worked with from a photography perspective. And then I'd, I'd imagine that a lot of your food styling has probably come into play there as well.
1: It has, and I, I think that is a real credit. You know, it's it's just been easier for me in a lot of ways to some sometimes make budgets work because I do have that background in styling. I don't try to be the food stylist and the photographer at the same time, but I I certainly know um, have a leg up in a way on what I can convey to my styling team what I would like to see done. So, um, but backing up. Um, really, to be honest, uh, it was my friendship with John T. Edge that kind of got me my first job. It wasn't just because we we're friends, but I became a member of the Southern Foodways Alliance in 2004. I'm very, very passionate about that organization. Um, I served on its board for a while. But back in the early days, um, John T. was actually one of the people that knew that I was enjoying taking photographs of certain things, certain projects that were personal projects for me. And he's the one that said, hey, we need a picture of deviled eggs. Do you have any of those? And um, what I was documenting was mostly very country, very simple homestyle food. And he needed some shots like that. So he and I began trading off on some some shooting. And then when he was doing his truck food book, he asked if I would be interested in doing the photographs for that book. And that was perfect for me because it was mixing journalism, really, because the way we shot that was completely editorial, traveling around and photographing people serving food out of trucks. So, And that was right when the whole food truck craze was starting. So it was a good time. In the meantime, though, I ended up getting approached by a production team in New York who, I don't it's really weird how they got my name, but it was um, to... To possibly work on a team, a production team for a television show called Avec Eric, which was Eric's PBS which television I loved. show. I it's it was a great, great show, it, yeah.
0: He he um he's one of the people that can really balance being a very approachable, fun person, especially because he has an accent, you mm-hmm. know, and um but you know, understanding his cuisine and style, but then watching him very similar to uh, to the position of someone like Anthony Bourdain, you know, mm-hmm. kind of taking you on a journey and then speaking, you know, through the journey of, you know, through food yeah. is, he's perfect for it. He was great.
1: He's great. And so they needed someone to be on that crew who was, a, they were looking for a writer, a photographer, a, a stylist. And so on that team, because we were traveling as well, um, they wanted to have as few, few crew members as possible to keep costs down. So I ended up being... photographer the i was the co-author of the book and um also um at times you know i'd have to run out and get a certain kind of shirt for him to wear or something so i ended up being a lot of the stylist too and um that was fortunate because that really a lot of people i think can look at the roster of people who i've shot for and some of them i'm very happy to say it's because we're friends kevin Gillespie um is a friend and when he got his book deal um, he really, you know, pushed for me to be able to be the photographer on it. And at that point, I had only done John T's book, which is very different than a regular cookbook. AVEC Eric hadn't quite come out yet when I got the job to work with um, Kevin. But the, the team that Kevin had w- was great. They were like, yeah, well, you should absolutely work together. And I consider that a huge breakthrough for me. Certainly working with Eric Repair is a great name to have on your resume. But being able to work with Kevin so closely on his first book, Fire in My Belly, was what really cut my teeth on how to produce a book. And he and I enjoyed working together. And I ended up shooting another book for him later on.
0: Yeah. And you you tell such an interesting story through, you know, the way that... um that the way a recipe is written and then it's also given with method and then the image that is burned in your mind of what you're going to hopefully be creating out of someone's book is, is a really interesting process. Um, what, what's like the, what, what's like the memory or if there's like a singular one or just what's a memory that really sticks out like in the production process of creating a book because that's another one of those things that I think a lot of people don't really understand how that comes to be. Um, it's, it's probably completely different than what they have in their mind. So, well, it's something that stands out to you.
1: Well, you know, it's a, I prefer to work on books where it can be a true collaboration. There have been times when I've just been sent a list of recipes and said, we would like, you know, shots of these recipes and then no one from the publisher comes to be on set, the person who wrote the book isn't on set. Hmm. There's been a couple of times when I've done that and they've turned out great, but they're not happy memories as much as it is to be able to collaborate with the people who, it's their passion, it's their name on the book. Right, That is something that is very important to me. And um, I'm trying to think of a fun standout like, process thing because we do try to, when you get to work on a team, for instance, um, typically, there would be um, the, the person writing the book who might want to be the cook making the recipes, or there will be a food stylist who ends up being the cook and the stylist. Um, and then there is probably a prop stylist. Um, and you've got to work with the publisher to come up with, well, what kinds of things are going to be interested sprinkled through the book? We don't want too many photographs that look like A casserole you know we don't want too many things that look like you know some a bowl of soup Um, so that's when the fun and the challenge happens is when you start thinking about well how do we need to shoot this you don't want to have everything be shot at the same angle you don't want to have too much blue in your book or too much you know yellow you so it's fun to watch the thing happen a lot of times photographers will print out little prints And we'll stick them up on the wall, and so we can see in chapter what what have we done too much of? Have we used this plate too many times? Have we? So I think the thing that people don't understand is how many props it takes to make these photos look interesting and different, (laughs) and how hard it is for a styling team, the food stylist or the cook who's written the book, with perhaps a food stylist, um, to make these things look beautiful and delicious and. Um, also, look different from each other. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And you know, you you have a you. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you've you've lived in Atlanta, only and, Atlanta, and, and only I like that. It's only Atlanta. I lived only in Atlanta. Um, so there's a lot in there. You've you've seen Atlanta in a time that not a lot of people have. You know, now that it's a city very much built on transients. Raising my hand because I'm a part of that. Yeah. Um, But you know, I've I've only and welcome. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I know I'm still new. Um. But you know, it's it's been about six years or so, and um, we've seen a lot of the city change and develop, and um, new apartments and new restaurants and you know, Pond City Market, Krog. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what's happening OTP, but I imagine there's good things there as well. Um. But you have a really interesting perspective on how things have really changed, especially from a culinary perspective. Yes. What, what's that been like for you?
1: It's been really fun to watch actually. And, um, you know, I didn't really get super passionate about food and like dining out and understanding the chef world or the restaurant world as much until, really after I started my my baking career Um, at that time I had my favorites things that I would eat you know either from I grew up in really close to Tucker so like still Matthew's cafeteria is one of my favorite places to go I'm one of these Atlantans that has a super soft spot in my heart for the varsity Um, you know some of the more old-school places that we love a lot of that love is built on nostalgia but a lot of it is very important you know and so But I've I've really enjoyed watching people grow and culinary teams grow. In fact, um, the listening audience doesn't know this, but right before we turned on the mics, um, Ben and I were talking about Pano. And um, Mm. his family is like restaurant royalty. And um, I just got to sit next to him at dinner last night. It was really fun because it's fun to reminisce about Pano's and Paul's and the Buckhead Diner and all of the incredible restaurants and now Akima, which is his restaurant. Um, you know, all of the, the groups back in the eighties, there used to be all these restaurant groups, the peasant group, which Steve Nygren and Bob Amick used to have together. Oh, and, uh, Bob Amick is uh concentrics. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun to see, like, there's still these people that are very much implanted in the Atlanta culinary fabric, but then to watch, um, groups like for instance, and Quattrano who, now bacchanalia is over 20 years old and it's been in three three different places i think <laughs> yeah and um i've been in every one of those places but then cool. if you built a family tree out of pano's group out of the Nigrins and bob's groups out of um Quattrano, if you had this family tree it would be incredible it would mm-hmm. have so many of our beloved chefs like Steven Satterfield uh, coming out of them or Hillary white, or, you know, all these other people who now have their own restaurants and their sous chefs are going out and having their own restaurants. It's really quite inspiring to see. And it's one of my favorite things about Atlanta. And I think that we're lucky because we have a pretty tight knit group of chefs in our city.
0: Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's funny. Cause also, you know, we were chatting, uh, I think expressing our love for Judith Winfrey from Peach Dish, but yes. also, I, I mean, hearing her story, knowing that she's far much more than just, just Peach Dish, you know, but um, we actually talked about that as this Atlanta restaurant or culinary or food-based family tree. Um, I've never seen this executed in another city because I think it'd be really difficult to, to map this out from the perspective of like San Francisco or LA or Chicago mm-hmm. or New York. Uh, maybe even Dallas, you know, but I feel like in Atlanta, we have a very different vibe. And that seems to be more achievable, because the the beat of Atlanta, I think people are very excited for people to try new things. I think the entrepreneurial mindset in Atlanta is supported not only by colleague, but also by community. And um, I think you have Less of being a blip on the radar, and you have more community rallying support to get your idea off the ground, or you know, succeed or move on to the next thing. And um, you're jumping from one restaurant to another, and it's um, you, it, it's it's amazing to see how how much support that that is really given. And you, you see it from an editorial perspective, you know, you see it and just feel it from. You, you see a chef here and then now they're working in another restaurant and it's um, it's different. I think we have a different reception in Atlanta. It's
1: fun to watch. I think you are probably right. It's it's good to hear someone who's not from Atlanta talk about it that way because, <laughs> it, but it's so interesting because when I do travel other places and, and and I do travel a lot and Atlanta's a great place to be mm-hmm. if you're gonna travel. Um, but when I am out, I think a lot of times people Think, oh well, she's never lived anywhere other than Atlanta. She must not have very many experiences. But I have vast experiences, and I think the people in our culinary scene, including agriculture, and um, right. and even like as far as um, restaurant groups go, um, and even chain restaurants go, I think it's an interesting place to be because we have the world here too. Um, it's not just like a regular city that may have be kind of incestuous we are a transient city we have um incredible populations of immigrants from all over the world that are are in our city and so i think our culinary teams um whether it be chefs or restaurateurs or farmers or people like me um visual or marketing people we have this lovely pot of the world to look at mm-hmm. and and get knowledge from and feed off of each other and it's really fun also on that note to watch um people who grew up who were originally from immigrant families I mean we all were originally from immigrant families but the the ones who came here maybe in the 70s um as re- as refugees now they're they have children and grandchildren who are also running their restaurants now or started their own restaurants or started big markets like the Beaufort Highway Farmers Market. Those people are third generation food people. Yeah. But from Vietnam or Korea or. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. It's really fun to take people to um, Clarkston. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not the place that you're really thinking of, you know, why would you go to a place like Clarkston? It's like, well, um, we're going to eat, you know, or Beaufort Highway. I mean, goodness. And, You know, you can kind of, you know, spin around in any direction, you know, and you're going to find something that you love that you didn't know existed before. And you're going to experience ingredients you did not know were grown in the earth. I think it's a
1: huge reason why our um, culinary scene is so rich.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, But, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, you talk about people, you talk about the like, you know, quote unquote family tree, which we're going to have to make at one point. Like there's going to have to be a mass collaboration we're all just going to have to like go all in for like a Kickstarter campaign and we're going to have to get this done. So, so may-
1: there've been people that have made smaller ones. Like I think Atlanta magazine about three years ago did one and, and it was really cool. They had an artist. Yeah. They had an do one.
0: Yeah. And I feel, I feel like we've got to like connect all the dots and yeah. so maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get everybody like we'll start a committee or something, but, but you talk about stories that come out of that. You talk about the story of, you know, who's influenced who and where and who came from what, but Um, but what's, you know, what, what's like the, I guess your favorite story to really tell and like what you're really doing from a food styling perspective as an, as you know, from a journalistic standpoint, helping write cookbooks and especially through photography, you're telling the story of food, someone's story, and especially the person, like the deeper part of their person, you know, what, what's your favorite part of that? You know, like, what do you see? And then like, cause you know, these people after the fact.
1: Yes. Um, so it's interesting because some of the people I'm already friends with, um, when I start working with them, but then some of them, you get to know them. So for instance, um, you know, when we're putting together, I'm trying to think of who exactly, like there might be somebody that I had never worked with before, but we got put together on this team. Oh, well, something that I just now shot. I just got back from two weeks in Mississippi. Um, working on a cookbook with a woman named Elizabeth High School, who is a caterer um, based out of Oxford, Mississippi. She also makes a lot of appearances on the Today Show. She's kind of a regular food hmm. um, presenter on there. And I, I sort of knew her. I mean, we had met before, but I didn't really know her. But then when I got there and we started photographing these recipes, that and she would even say, these are home cook recipes. There wasn't anything outlandish or, or odd about what she was presenting, there might be a, it, there was a twist on chicken and dumplings or something, but mm-hmm. it was still another, you know, recipe for that kind of stuff. Yeah. What was awesome is to be able to hear why it's important to her. And so when I hear her say, well, the reason this matters or to read the head note, that's why it's so fun for people to read head notes to recipes, because the author is telling you, why do we need another chicken and dumplings recipe? Well, because this person is who made this. And this is why this one's different. This is why I think you should try it. And yeah. once you know the story behind it, it helps me and the prop stylist that I had with me style it and make it make it personal. Um, It's, it's a little bit harder sometimes with people who are like really, really accomplished chefs. For instance, Eric repair, his, his food is quite refined. And um, the book we did with a Eric was really fun because he kind of went out, got inspiration from different places that we visited, found an interesting ingredient. And it was really fun to watch an accomplished chef say, I've never had this before. So, one of the great stories that came out of that one was Eric really, even though he lived in Atlanta for a little while, he, Hmm. um, he didn't really understand the South and the South's food. Um, and so we had, we went on a trip where Dean Fearing, who's a famous Southern chef out of Texas. Um, he was, we filmed Eric learning how to make red eye gravy. And when Dean threw the coffee in the pan, um, to stir the, I only the brew what to together, like. yeah. um, you know, Eric was so cu- curious about it. He goes, Oh, I understand now you're deglazing the pan. You're deglazing the pan with coffee. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> as a Southerner who understands gravy, I never thought that's exactly what he's doing. Right. It, to me, it was just like, Oh, you're making gravy. Yeah. It's not deglazing. So it gives this beautiful, like, um, wealth to our food. It's the same. Like the French technique and what grandmother was doing is the same.
0: You you, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say for someone like Eric Repair, it's totally like the technique, but you know, the way that you grew up making red eye gravy, it was just a method that someone kind of described to you. It's almost like reciting the pledge of allegiance. Like this is just the way that it's done. Okay. Like there's no variance, like just do it this way. And, um, but like there's no definition to, to that methodology, but the way that he views it, it, that's incredible. I know it's (laughs) expect that.
1: And it gives great import and it helps you realize, Oh, all of our food is important. And Mm -hmm. he was saying the same thing when he said, Oh, I get it. You're deglazing the pan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the the thing that I, I have here on the podcast, and I'm sure that you've heard it plenty, you know, but the, the interesting thing about Atlanta is, you know, I, I love that I get to hear so many people's stories. And, you know, to to me, these are people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And it's not about superlatives. It's not about being a list of, you know, top 100 or anything like that. But we do have a very unique community in Atlanta, especially from a culinary perspective and from a dining community, like the dining public is, um, I think we have a very different landscape here. And, um, you know, I just, I just wanted to say like, it's, it's really cool to see the work, um, of, of a photographer, of someone who knows food and especially from the styling perspective and, um, you know, wedding cakes and, you know, decorating cakes, you know, it's, um, it's amazing to see that side of, of this industry, and, um, to, to really consume stories that way, you know, to, to have like that image, like burned in your mind is really great. And, um, so I, I just think, you know, that there's a lot that, that makes everything work together and you're totally a part of that. So
1: thanks. It's yeah. has been
0: fun. We can end right there. Okay. Bye. Okay. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> thanks. Uh, have a nice one. But, um, but man, you know, this is, um, th- th- it's so great to have you on the show and, uh, just to hear a lot of your story. But yeah, I mean, just for everybody listening, like what's what's the next thing that we can look for that you either just, uh, like you, you just said, you completed this project in, in Mississippi. Uh, but what else is like coming up for you, Angie?
1: Um, well, let's see. There's some exciting stuff. Um, you know, you, we were talking about Todd Richards earlier. And um, even though we are done with that book, that book Soul, which is an incredible book, mm-hmm. um, keeps having a life you know beyond just the publishing date which is really exciting um so i'm curious to see what's going to happen with reprints on that because that mm. book was originally published by a publisher that's no longer in business so
0: wow i didn't realize yeah. that
1: so it's going to be fun so everyone keep their eyes peeled for an, a reprint a re-edition of that because i'm sure it's going to happen um but uh, and that would be another way to support somebody like Todd is when it gets reissued, hopefully by someone else, then, mm-hmm. um, we can all support it again. Um, but I am in the midst of photographing a book for Marcus Samuelson.
0: Really? Yes. Wow. Um,
1: great chef based out of Harlem, although he's worldwide. Um, talk about a guy who's fun to watch on camera. He's, he's really fun. Yeah, he's really fun. So that's been really exciting and, and I'm still working on it. It's a, it's a collection of essays and recipes um, inspired by the people that he's highlighting. So it's sort of a view of what's happening with black food in America right now. Um, it has a lot of history um, wrapped up in it because so many great um, food history books talking about tracing the foods of West Africa and other, um, other parts of the world to the United States. and and embracing and appropriating that food history. There've been a lot of really great books recently written about that. So I think Marcus was inspired. As someone who is an immigrant himself to take a view outside of Red Rooster, his re- restaurant in Harlem and, and say, what's happening here? So he he has a wonderful co-author named Osai Endelin who's helping with these essays. And I get to take photographs of all the people. And so there'll be portraits hmm. in it and then there'll be recipes. We haven't started on the food photography yet, but um, I'm super excited about that because that's a story I'm personally interested in as well. Um, So that's been fun. I've been all over the United States taking portraits of people. It's cool. um, Then I'm also working on um, a book with another Atlanta person. I believe she's an Atlanta native, actually. Um, Suzanne Vesethan, who is the owner of Buttermilk Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so we're.
0: Pretty uh, iconic Atlanta everything restaurant. But uh, man, um, I've never had a meal that I've. wanted to forget she she, (laughs) she's so good she is incredible like
1: i just think she she's very humble and she um she she just puts her head down does her work but Mm -hmm. she's a a great personality and i think her food and her restaurant are lovely so i'm looking forward to more people getting turned on to her so that's what i'm shooting right now
0: that's so cool Mm -hmm. oh man well you know for for You know, all intents and purposes, you're definitely on that, you know, OG Atlanta side, Angie. So it is so great to hear your story and thanks for sharing it here on the podcast. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Ben.
0: Thank you. Many thanks to Angie for joining me for this episode. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about her work, head over to her website at placematproductions.com. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Goetz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Goetz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry.